Howdy, friends. You're listening to teaching from our college ministry here at FBC Bryan. We hope you enjoy this message from our college pastor, John Davison, as we journey through the book of 2 Timothy. If you have any questions, please reach out through social media, or you can visit our website at fbcbryan.org slash college. We hope you enjoy. Amen. Words are important. Words the, that you sing are important. It's such a, a sweet reminder, even in Danny's prayer, of, of where we're going tonight. If, if you haven't been with us at the beginning of the semester, if you went through the awkwardness that was the SAD series, the Sex and Dating series, uh, we're jumping back into 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 2, so we're, this is really week 3 of going through this. And give you a little heads up of, of where we've gone, and this will help you understand where we're going. Paul has kind of laid out in front of Timothy that, hey, my time here is short. I'm almost out uh, of this planet. I'm in prison. I'm going to be killed. And so this is what I need you to hear from me. These are the most important things. And then he... And he puts a couple people on blast who've abandoned the church. He, he praises Onesiphorus for his commitment to the church and says, like, this is a guy who needs more of God's mercy poured out upon him. We're thankful for God's grace on his life. And then we get to the first part of chapter 2. And we're just going to blast through, I think, the first 13 or so verses if we can. I'm just going to read them. You, he's talking to Timothy, therefore, that when you see that word, we always say this, like, what's the therefore, therefore? He says, hey, remember what Onesiphorus did, how he acted. You should act the same way. You, therefore, my son, showing his love for him, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Christ Jesus, comma, risen from the dead. And descended from David according to my gospel for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect so that they also may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him we will also live with him. If we endure he will also, we will also reign with him. If we deny him he will also deny us. If we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. I, I, I love what Timothy is doing here because this idea like hey perseverance and passing on the gospel is of highest importance for you. And the only way that this happens is if you remain in the grace of God. It's just become a theme. I think it's been a theme today. It's been a theme for a lot of things in my life here lately. Just been constantly reminded of this grace. And, and, and what he does here is not, in verse 1, it's not just like a man up moment. It's not just like, hey, Timothy, I'm fixing to die, bro. You need to step up. You need to strap on your boots and we need to go to work. This is not what he's saying here. Like he says, hey, one of, one of the most refreshing things about Paul and his writing is he says, be strong in the grace. He does this like over and over again. And I think the reason, if you know Paul's life, you understand why grace is so important to him. But, but to the Corinthian church, he describes how Christ's grace is sufficient in all weakness in 2 Corinthians. In, in his letter, his earlier letter to them in 1 Corinthians, he says, by God's grace, I am with you. I did a little research. The only description that I could find of Paul's physical appearance, of what he looked like, 
It was from, it, it's actually called the book of Acts of Paul and Thecla. Okay, so this is a non-inspired, it's not in our Bible, but it is called the book of Acts, and it's written in the second century. In this account, Onesiphorus is said to be looking for Paul, and he was given a description of Paul by Titus, and this is what the description Onesiphorus had as he went to look for Paul. He said he's an apostle who was small in size, bald-headed, bandy-legged, well-built, with eyebrows meeting. Paul had a unibrow. A rather long nose, full of grace. That's his description. Small in size, ball-headed, bandy-legged, well-built, with eyebrows meeting. Rather a long nose, but he's full of grace. That's what they described him as. Now, I don't know if this account has any historical value whatsoever, but it's, it's the only thing that we found that describes him. And when you look, 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, I was, was going to go over here. This verse kind of cracks me up. If you want to follow me, that's fine. Um, go backwards. I don't know if you've ever even caught this verse as they're talking about Paul and the descriptor that they give him. He says this, For it is said, this is about Paul, His letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak, and his public speaking amounts to nothing. <laughs> them describing Paul, his, his letters, man, those things are challenging. These are, these are weighty and powerful. Physical presence, kind of weak. Public speaking, eh, nothing. This is this guy who, greatest missionary, I think, one of the best pastors that we've seen, who's penned a big chunk of the New Testament, and this is what we hear about him. That's his historical emphasis. And so while his bodily presence may have been unimpressive, and, and we see him in Acts with all of these afflictions that are poured out over him, and the bro just keeps getting in boat crashes and getting bit by snakes, and, and all of these things that are happening, how does Paul endure through all of this if he's just like this weak, bandy-legged, unibrow kind of dude? By the grace of God. And this, this is what he's saying to Timothy. The only way that you get through this is by God's grace. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, who we're kind of seeing is this like fragile vessel um, who is in an unbelievably challenging ministry context called Ephesus where it's, it's aggressive and the city is just like in blatant sin and heresy and widespread disbelief and overall just like difficult church. He's like, the only way that you get through this, bro, is by God's grace. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Ephesians 6.10, if, if you're taking notes or if you're writing your Bible, put some of these verses down there. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. We, we find strength to walk in His grace by the Lord. 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and His own goodness. 2 Peter 1.3. Ephesians 3.16, another one of these, like, you can memorize every 3.16 in the entire Bible, and I think you'll be set. Ephesians 3.16, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened in the power, in your inner being, through the Spirit. So where we get this strength, we understand his grace through the Spirit as we lean into him. Romans 6.25, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept silent for long ages. I love that he keeps calling it my gospel. He does it here. He does it in Romans. And, and so there's two things that I see in this first verse, and I kind of just wanted to stop here. I'm going to try to get through all 13 verses, but I, I think this is the best point that I'm going to make. In order for you to continue in the plan that God has for you to walk in this grace, it requires two things from you. 
It requires union and communion. It requires you to have a union with Christ, to be united with Christ, and then it requires you daily to commune with Christ. It's communicate with you. That's why we take communion. It, it, it basically implies just a deeper relationship that's built on time and experience. You are united with Christ, and then you commune with Christ on a daily basis. This is where our strength is found. Your strength is not in like how long you've been a Christian. It's not in how much you know the Bible. I believe that that's important, but that's not the main thing. It's not how long you uh, have even been in ministry for me. Like our strength in this very moment, every day, is found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Your strength is derived from your union with Jesus, and it's supercharged. It's, it's, it's pushed forward rapidly with your communion every day with Christ. Paul opened a lot of his letters by going, grace to you. Grace to you. Now, I don't, I don't think that Paul assumed that all of his letters were going to end up in Scripture, but, but he knows that they were going to be read out loud in front of churches. And now, because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have all of these combined. And so every time we open Scripture, it just says, grace to you. It's basically this cheat code that's saying, if you want to know God's grace, this is where it's at. The more that you engage with Scripture, the more that God's grace rises up. And here it is. Therefore, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The only way that you can function on this planet in a way that honors God is by God's grace. We go to the gospel daily. We remind ourselves of the gospel daily because we need to hear the gospel daily. And we grow in that and we find our strength. Verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's, he's picking up on what he was highlighting in the first chapter around like verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me. I need you to keep walking in this and I need you to hand this off to other people. There, this needs to continue. And, and he lists here really kind of four things that happened. First, Christ gave the message to Paul. This is not a, a gospel that Paul had made up. That's Galatians 1, 11, and 12. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the, the gospel preached to me was not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source. I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel that knows. That's why he keeps calling it my gospel. It, it's personal to him. It was, it was handed to him. And so Christ gave this message to Paul. Then Paul passed this message on to Timothy. And he's like, hey, this is what you've heard from me. And I love this. There's this added thing to it. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Hey, I shared this to you out loud so that other brothers could come beside you and go, hey, remember what Paul said? Remember, remember what Paul said? That's, that's why we will continue to encourage like the gathering. And so some of the things that you catch, you can share with friends. Some of the things they caught, they can share with you. It's a pretty, important, a pretty important aspect here. And so it's message given to Paul. Paul is giving it to Timothy. And then Timothy is to entrust this message to other men. That word commit that we see there is the same word that Jesus used on the cross. Into your hands I entrust. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And what that means is that you're giving it to somebody who has proven themselves faithful and who is going to do the right things with it. That's why Jesus is like, hey, hey, dad, into your hands I commit my spirit. Paul is going, what you need to do with this gospel message is to give it to people who you know are going to absorb it and then use it for good. Put it into safe hands. He, he says that it's faithful men who are able to teach. There's two qualifications that speak directly to like the life of ministers. We, we call you, everybody in this room, like you have a ministry. 
And so one of the things that you really need to embrace is like to be faithful with God's word and continue to grow in the ability to share God's word in spaces that he places you, to encourage people with God's word. The last thing, so it's Christ to Paul, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, and then Timothy is to entrust those faithful men that, so that they will teach other people also. I mean, we think about it, Paul, Paul's message went from a hole in the ground in Rome to right here. Now, if you think about that, this is what the journey that this letter went on was hole in the ground prison to here. And, it, and it's going to continue. And why is it here? Because faithful men committed it to faithful men who taught other people. And this is how this, this story continues. They did not let the gospel die with them. And this is what he's challenging Timothy to do. And it's what we get challenged to do is we can't let the gospel die with us. We remain faithful and we share it with other people. We ask our group leaders today, our Bible study leaders, like, hey, who's got next? Who's your next up? And that's a challenge to you people in the room here. Like the the end goal is not like, I want to be a Bible study leader at 127. Please don't let that be the end goal. Because you want to know who my favorite people in the room are right now? The people who serve us food. Y'all be like, amen to that. So my favorite people are the people that serve over in children's on Sunday morning, and none of you college students even see them. They're, they're over in youth. They're greeting. They're taking the offering plates up and down this aisle. They're, they're doing all of these things. And yes, some of my favorite people are also our Bible study leaders. And so they're going to ask you to like step up into that space. But your faithful reflection of the gospel is not just that you, you get your picture on our website. It's that you've committed to use the gifts that God has given you in a way that honors him. And so we're going to keep calling you up. And and I'll just ask you, like, who's next up? Who wants their Bible study leader's job? That that should be, like, one of your goals. Scotty's getting married. Like, somebody in his Bible study needs to take that bro's place. His Bible study leader, not as married. (laughs) All right? This is it. Like, we're looking for our next up. And this is what he's saying. Like, you just entrust it so that we know who the next up is going to be. Like, every Christian leader needs to be looking for some faithful believer who can do the same thing that they are. I I read this in a book. Phil Jensen says that we need this category of men that he calls this. He's Australian, and so he gets away with this. It's blokes worth watching. We need this category of people that are just blokes worth watching. And so it's our responsibility as stewards of God's word to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to us and then invest it into some brothers and into some sisters that are just blokes worth watching. Who is that in your life? Who is that that you can hand off what you're doing that is going to be better than you were? Like, could anything be more exciting than seeing that happen? To see the message of salvation go out to qualified people who shares it with qualified people who shares it with qualified people. And, and Timothy, he's charged, even in this chapter, like he's charged to go and teach. In chapter 4, he's, he's called to go and preach. And we understand that you're seeing it right now. A lot of you do this. Like, we understand the importance of public teaching. We understand the importance of, of preaching to believers and to unbelievers. But, but this exhortation here is, is not so much that. This exhortation is personal, and this exhortation is, is intimate between them. And what, what he's saying is like, hey, who are you going men, to mentor? Who, who are you going to disciple? And we know, because we continue to ring this bell, one of the greatest weaknesses in the church is the absence of a 2 Timothy 2.2 
type of ministry, an absence of, of discipleship. And so th- this is how I think about this. I've heard it this way before. It kind of makes sense to me. Church, a lot of times, become, it, it, it's like people's golf game. All right? Anybody ever play golf like once a year? You're just like, hey, I'm a once-a-year golfer. I go out to the golf course. It's just one of those things. All right? That's how I am. Our church staff gets together at, at pastoral staff retreats, and we play golf. And Mike Ballard, who is like the greatest gift of hospitality on the planet, he puts Torchy's gift cards on the line for it. And I'm prideful. And so I'm like, I'm going to win. Except I don't play golf at all. I can hit the ball sort of far. And so, so I, this, this analogy works really well for me. A lot of churches are like your golf game. You think that when you step up on the tee with that big old driver, like this is where I'm going to shine. I'm going to crush this ball and everybody's going to cheer and hurrah. And that's kind of this. It's, it's standing up and teaching. It's being in a worship band. It's being up in front of people. That's like the big part. Everybody thinks that's, that's the best part. And then in order to be a better golfer, then you, you figure out how to like your short iron game, your approach game, hit it up there close. Like that, that's a pretty important aspect of, of golf. It requires a little bit of, of finesse. It requires some accuracy. And, and those are like group life. Those are, those are B studs. That's the short game. But you know what wins tournaments? You know it is. You, you drive for show, you putt for dough. And, and it's the thing that, that we neglect the most. Like, we love to go over to big shots and just, like, crush balls. But they don't give you a putter at big shots. That doesn't sell. You, you go out into, like, the putt-putt area out front, but there's not many people out there. Or it's you guys that, like, cheat and bring your own putter and ball out there and just practice. It's not the attractive part of the game. But in order for the church to win, like, we have to be good at that. And that's the one-on-one, that's the discipleship part of it. And so we are, even now, behind the scenes, developing some, some more things. Like, how can we make discipleship happen in a different way? How can we make mentorship happen in a different way? And, and getting creative with some of that. And some of you leaders, if you haven't already had a conversation, you're going to because, because we're going to charge you in that first to model it and then see other people follow. We're going to work on our putting game. And, and the reason that, that we don't see this happen very often, I think the reason that Paul mentions it to Timothy here, is that it's hard. Mentorship is about relationships, and relationships are difficult, because then you got you to get personal, and you got to spend time with them, and it, it requires vulnerability, and it requires trust, and, and it's the fact that you're a, sin, a sinner, and you're a big one, and, and you have to put that on display to other people, and, and sometimes we don't trust ourselves to lead others, and, and all of these things happen. You know, sometimes somebody's going to say something to hurt your feelings, and, and all of that happens within these these relationships and raising leaders is hard. Stepping into leadership spaces is hard. The only reason that you do it is if you decide that it's worth it. And, and this is what he's saying to him. I need you to do this. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who are able to teach others. And this is how this spreads. Okay, let's go through the next couple of verses pretty quick. Verse three, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. And so he's like, hey, here's, here's the suffering that comes. We've talked about this before, the endurance for the gospel. And he mentions three different things. He starts with, with a soldier. Paul's probably familiar with soldiers. He's been arrested a few times. He understands what a good soldier is. He understands that the, the criteria for a good soldier is that he has incredible focus, that he has a willingness to suffer, that he knows what has been handed to him. He's going to walk in that. So he's like, hey, you've got to endure hardship. 
Hardship is coming. You've got to learn to endure it. Don't expect no hardship, but know that hardship is going to happen. Be a good soldier. You, you focus through that hardship. And, and in verse 4, Paul adds that a good soldier doesn't get entangled with the concerns of civilian life. Instead, he seeks to, to please the recruiter. What he means is like, this guy has a focus. He knows that he's at war, and he knows that he has a mission to do, and he's just going to do that mission. And so the, what he's saying here is the things that are most important rise to the top. And so it's not just like ministry, 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 ministry all the time. Now, I can prove that it kind of is that, but it's not in the, the realm that a lot of us think. It's not like be at church and minister all the time and, and fill your schedule with all of that stuff. You know that my primary ministry first is my wife, and then, then I get my kids, and they're a joy, and then you get the overflow of that. That's just how God has ordained that. And so we surround ourselves with people that can also be a minister to you. And we, we pour out, and my wife knows that, and she sacrifices, and I sacrifice for you. And when the phone rings, you know, 1230 at night, she's already asleep. So I have to sneak away and, and have those conversations. And it requires us to be pulled in different directions and time away from family. And all of that's true. But I focus on the primary things. I'm a soldier in that, and sometimes I'm a terrible soldier in that. But, but this is what he's saying. You, have, you don't get entangled with civilian concerns, but you know that you're at war. And you focus on what's most important. We fight the fight that God has called us to fight. The only way that we know what that is is by the gospel. Then he, then he continues verse 5. And if, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I can make a lot of jokes here. Not Astros. I'm not going to. Because then we, we hired the coach that cheated and we brought them to our team and we got in trouble too. So we're all kind of in the same boat here. Um, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Back then, if you got caught cheating, you didn't get like a million dollar fine and your coach was fired. You got murdered in the streets. They just drug you through the streets and killed you. And so like competing according to the rules was really, really important. You didn't win unless you, you competed according to the rules. Verse six, the hard work, oh, we're not going to go there yet. We're just going to do this. How do you get this crown? How does the athlete get the crown? He earns it. They're like, well, he wins it or he cheats really well. Not in this context. He, he earns it. And here's the deal. We love to celebrate professional athletes. We hate to imitate professional athletes. You don't have that work ethic unless you're an aspiring professional athlete in here, and you're a different level. I think I've shared this story with you before. One of the churches I was at in East Texas, we opened up our gym to NBA players to practice. And so they would come in the offseason, and these guys were scrubs. These guys, you will never hear of them. And I would walk out of my office, and I would go in there and watch, and here's a guy shooting free throws, shooting free throws. I would go, and I would do something, come back from lunch, here's a guy shooting free throws. I'm like, are you still going? Yep. Why? I got to make 100 in a row. Okay. That's different. Where are you at right now? I've made 600 in a row. What? You are built different. Eight hours a day of this. We've told the Kobe Bryant stories. Like, like you understand that, that professional athletes, we will celebrate, but, but that work ethic is hard to imitate. But if you want to win, this is what that requires. He's putting that on display, verse 6. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Anybody, anybody come from a farming family? Not a couple of you? That's, that's different. That's so different. We, we talk about soldiers, hard calling. Professional athletes, built different. Farmers, I think, work harder than anybody. And I, I shared this with our, with our Bible study leaders. They work harder than anybody, and then they just have to trust. 
We can, we can plow and we can plant and we can do all of the things right, but if it doesn't rain, if it's too hot, eh. And so they put in the hard work and then they stand back. And if they're a believer, they go, Lord, you're going to have to. And I mean, this is biblical too. You reap what you sow. The, the work that you put in, I think there's going to be a return for it because we have a, a faithful God who is going to give back, push down and overflowing. And it says the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. And that's not, I don't know what you think about that verse, but, but the cool part of it is that, is that as they do that, as they work in ministry and they see the benefit of it, they should be the ones to get to celebrate first. When, when a friend that they've been sharing the gospel with for a long time comes to know Jesus, they should be the one to celebrate right off the bat. They get the fruit of this. And so they work really hard and they trust the Lord with everything else. And then Paul concludes that little saying there in verse 7 with this funny little verse. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Here's, here's Bible study 101 for us. Students or, or, or Christ followers who make a commitment to study Scripture must consider God's Word carefully in order to understand it fully. You, you have to carefully consider God's Word. We should study it with this promise in view that the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We can't be lazy in our approach to Scripture. We work hard. We believe that God's going to uncover the truths that we need to hear. And so to be a great student of the Bible, you have to work hard with a heart of humility, knowing that you're not going to figure this out, but it's going to be God in heaven who reveals things to you. That's a cool promise because you would rather get God's understanding than your own. And again, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. There's going to be some things that you don't figure out, and you have to be okay with those. But if you will carefully study Scripture, He'll reveal things to you in His time. And we'll end on here, starting at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. It, does anybody think, like, why? Not why remember Jesus Christ, but why does He have to say that? Remember the Alamo. That was weird. I think we lost. Um, remember Jesus Christ. And, and here's what I need us to hear right from the beginning. Who is the hero of the gospel? Who, who's the hero of this story? Keep your attention on Jesus Christ. Your human memory, my human memory, is ridiculously fickle. You will, rem you will remember strange things, and you will forget unbelievably important things. And Israel, we know, suffered from a, like a ridiculous amount of spiritual memory loss. Psalm 106, 19. At Horeb, they made a calf and they worshiped the cast metal image. They exchanged their glory for the image of a grass-eating ox. Why? Because they forgot God, their Savior, who did great things in Egypt. Imagine, you're, you're wandering around in the desert and you've just come across the dry land that used to be the Red Sea with the Egyptian army following you and you stood up on a mountain and you looked as that army made its way into that sea and God closed in the waters on them and killed them all. That's not something you should be quick to forget. But these clowns have 
this spiritual issue where they just go, hey, you know what would be better than like what we experienced there where God was like leading us by a pillar of fire and a cloud and he swallowed up the army and he provided water from a rock and he rescued us from slavery and all of those things. You know what would be better than that? Let's, let's make an image of like a cow and let's worship that. Now, that really makes sense. And, and so what Paul is saying here is remember Jesus Christ when you are struggling and we've all been there. When your walk with Christ feels kind of empty and shallow and slow, remember the hero of the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ and he shares it, risen from the dead. Which also implies that he was killed. Which also reminds us of the cross. Which also reminds us of the fact that he was risen again. That, that the punishment that, that he absorbed was satisfactory to his dad. And so his dad brings him back to life. And then he said he was the descendant of David. He goes, he was a human. He was, he was, here's Christ's humanity put on display. So he's not only deity risen from the dead, he's human descended from David according to, here it is again, my gospel. He's made this thing personal. This gospel, which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. And here, I'm okay with it, but here's God's promise. But the word of God is not bound. It doesn't matter if I'm stuck here in this prison. The word of God is going to continue to go out. All of this is encouraging. He's like, hey, remember the hero, verse 10. This is why I endure all things for the elect so that they may obtain salvation. This is, this is such a cool thing because some of you struggle with this doctrine of election and, and free will. And it's like, well, if, if everybody's elect, then they don't really choose. And so I don't really have to share the gospel. No, this is what he's saying. I suffer for the elect. I endure all things for them so that they also may obtain salvation. What if their election is contingent upon you sharing? Is God not big enough to work that way? What if he predestined from the beginning of time that you would share Christ with this person and they would faithfully respond? This is how we see this in scripture all the time is that he's going, you, how will they know unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone is sent? Like this, this is what he's saying. Part of their election, I don't know how it works. Don't get in that argument with me, except for the fact that my God's really big. I don't know how it works, except he chooses to use the words that come out of your mouth to draw people to himself that he's already chosen. What great joy is that to know that you get to be a part of, of some story where God has already provided victory. This is why Paul is like, I'll continue to suffer. I will continue to endure all things for the sake of the elect. I trust that God has chosen them so that they may obtain salvation. It's motivation to go share even more so. And that salvation is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And this is a trustworthy saying. This is basically like, hey, this is something that you guys have said a lot. Let me remind you of this thing. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. This is that dying to self that we read about in, in Mark chapter 8. And like in order, basically saying in order to truly live, you must first die to yourself. So if we've died with him, then we're going to truly live with him. Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. He's been talking about suffering. All this, this makes sense. It's part of our, our sanctification is that we endure hard times. We go through difficulties, but it's for his glory. And in that endurance, we also get to display the gospel to people who are probably going to respond if we deny him, he will also deny us. Like, like, these next couple statements are awful. Side note. These are 
These are scary. If we deny him, he denies us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The first statement seems to echo the teaching of, of Jesus that we talked about this earlier, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, that it just echoes some things um, that he said before, whoever denies me before men, I'm going to deny him before my Father in heaven. And, and the meaning of Paul's statement here um, is really connected to Matthew chapter 10. And in light of that, like we have to know, you cannot deny the Lord. And in denying the Lord, there is punishment. And so this next statement, we have to connect those two. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And, and so there's, this can go two ways. Because you kind of read that and it doesn't really fit with the verse before. But let's look at this. Some take verse 13 to refer to the idea that even if we turn away from Jesus, that he's not going to turn away from us. Others look at it and, and they would say that if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, but he remains faithful to his own character, not, not to us. Which in this case, if we are unfaithful, his character would include rejecting the faithless. That's like a wild way to look at that. One group sees this verse as like a word of comfort. If we're faithful, he's still faithful to us. The other, it's very much a word of warning to us. And while it, it's certainly true that our God is not, he, he's not fickle, he's not slow to his promises. His faithfulness is new to us every morning. Like we believe these promises for believers. We, we know the story of Peter who rejects Christ three times and, and God welcomes him back. But, but I don't know if this is what this is saying. Like, like when I look at this, I think that this really is a warning to those who persist in faithlessness because these statements appear to be parallel in, in the original language if you look at it. So if we deny him as parallel to if we are faithless and he will also deny us as parallel to he remains faithful. He will deny us helps us understand the phrase about his faithfulness. God is faithful not just to extend blessing to those who are faithful, but he's also faithful in his warnings. And this is important. It, this basically raises the bar for us to go like we can't just function like in a faithless manner, not holding the gospel near to us and responding in faith to that just under this idea that our God is, is loving. Our God keeps his promises. And that is also an unbelievably loving thing. And so, so I don't know how you read that and hear me when I say what I did. I, I can't show you in the original language that this is exactly what this means. But I, can't, I can look at that and find an incredible encouragement in looking at it from the negative, knowing that God keeps his promises, those that I find great and those that I find uncomfortable, and walk like powerfully in those. Like I love this. Just the last part of it is just encouraging. If we forget all of that, he cannot deny himself. God, God doesn't act contrary to his nature. He's faithful. He's a God of mercy and a God of justice. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I think that he functions in this way. And so this is, it goes all the way back to verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. That's going to be our charge tonight. Band, that's your cue. As the band's coming back up here, this is what I want us, what I want us to hear, what I want us to think about. When we say 
Remember Jesus Christ. It's remember the one who conquered our enemies. Remember that he is seated at the Father's right hand, that he gives sufficient grace so that we can endure hardship. And if you will learn to endure that hardship in and through him, remember the gospel, then, then we get this promise. We're, we're going to reign with him. And when your faith ends... And you finally get to see him face to face. And he says to you, well done. I I promise at that moment, you're not going to regret living in and passing on and suffering for the gospel. You're not going to regret like striving to be a good soldier. You're not going to regret like working like an athlete. You're not going to regret like like the the labor that is found in being a farmer that also involves like a deep trust in God to to take care of all of those things. You're not going to regret it if you would just lean into this. Remember Jesus Christ. So that requires two things from us. One, to be like really, really faithful followers or two, to be followers in the first place. Back to that very first point. The only way that this happens in our life, the only way that the gospel comes alive is if you have a union with Christ, that you've, you've met Jesus, he's become a, you're in a personal relationship with him where he's Lord and Savior, and that you're daily communing with Christ. That's your two charges. As believers, if you're not figuring this side of it out, communing with him daily, you need to pray about that. Surround yourself with people who are encouraging you in that, and you figure out how to walk in that. It's essential. And as unbelievers in this room, we just have to assume that. If you've never experienced that union with Christ, take care of that tonight find one of our leaders and just ask them that question. Come and find me. Let's deal with that tonight. Those are the two most important things as we talk about remembering Jesus Christ. It's found in our union with him and our communion with him. Let me pray and we'll worship. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for the challenge that we see. It's presented from him all the time. We thank you for the charge that he gave to Timothy that's been echoed through faithful men up to this point. And I pray that it doesn't stop. Like, I don't have any fear in that with with you, like you're not going to let your church die, but, but my encouragement would be to students in this room who get to be a part of your story. May they have a passion of walking faithfully, enduring hardship for the, for the faith of the gospel to go forward. And so may that be our motivation tonight, that we would learn to walk like faithfully in this, either for the first time or just as a continuation of the work that you're doing in our lives, that we would reflect it well. God, by your spirit, have your way, we trust in Jesus' name.